Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. And yet as we go through it, you're going to see that it's incredibly accurate about what happened. Uh, we could trace it through Matthew chapter 27 and through Luke, and, and we would find exactly uh, the same things repeated there as are prophesied here uh, in Psalm 22. Now, <clears throat> really what we're going to look at is tough tonight. But if we're going to go to the table tonight, we have to recognize some things. <clears throat> in fact, let me, let me make a, a, a confession uh, before we start, right? Do you realize that I am such a great sinner that apart from what we're going to look at tonight, I would certainly go to hell and nobody could say, that's not fair. And do you realize that you're the same? Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room have broken God's law. We've gone our own way and done our own thing. And what happened to Jesus Christ on Calvary was him taking the reward for our sin on his own shoulders and paying the price for it. And so let's not look at it as, as, as something that happened in history. Let's look at it as something very intimate, something very close to you and I, something that we were involved in. Because truly, if, if my sin had been the only sin in the world, then the only way for me to go to heaven would have been what we're about to read tonight. And if your sin had been the only sin, the only way for you to go to heaven would be what we're going to read tonight. That kind of puts sin in perspective. And, and keep this in mind, too. There's no other way. If there was another way for a man to get to heaven, right, God would never have allowed his son to suffer, what we're looking at tonight. If there was any other way, if there was any other possibility, if people could do it by good works, if they could buy their way in, if there was some other way, then he would have said, go that way. Not my son, but there was no other way. It was just only his son. His son was the, was the only possibility, the only hope of salvation that we had. And he willfully embraced letting his son go to the cross and the son willfully embraced paying the price. And because of that, we have salvation tonight. And without it, there would be no other way. <clears throat> right, that's a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to read. Father, would you bless tonight, Lord? Lord, we're looking at a delicate, intimate, close, very painful, dreadful picture. Lord, would you help us tonight, not just to see a dreadful picture, to read in it, Lord, your great love for us and to take these truths and to understand that you loved us this much. And Lord, may we go away knowing your love better. And Lord, may we go away too understanding, Lord, that we should love you too. And if we love you too, Lord, we should flee sin. We should walk away from it. You know, as we go to the table tonight, may it be with clean hearts, hearts that are made right before you, hearts that have surrendered to you and let you have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season 
and I'm not silent. All of us here know loneliness. We all know it in different ver- times and different parts of our lives. We, we know what it is to be lonely. Right? <clears throat> that's that's, that's a, a reality of the human condition. Uh, that, that we understand what it is to be lonely. We understand what it is to be alone. But what we're looking at here is a depth far deeper than any one of us can imagine. You see, here's the thing. The relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father was perfect, not just while he was growing up, but it was perfect throughout eternity. Before this moment, there has never been a time, there has never been a moment when there's a breach between them. There was never an argument. There was never a row. There was never a coolness. Uh, there was never a withdrawing. There was never a, a harsh word. Never. They've had perfect fellowship. They've had a perfect and sweet fellowship. And yet in these moments, as Jesus Christ hangs on the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? Now you say, well, didn't he understand that that this is what had to happen? I'm sure he did. But that doesn't take away the fact of how alone he was in that moment. You know, we, we could look at the fact that the disciples by this time have all fled and they've left him alone. He definitely understood that. You know, he, to be honest with you, I don't think the Lord was really putting much trust in the disciples and the fact that they would be there for him in, in, in the moment. Because the Bible says that he knew all men. He knew what was in them, and he didn't put his trust in them. Even his disciples. He, 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 but the Father? The Father to withdraw himself from him? And why did he withdraw himself from him? Well, because of our sin. See, Jesus... When he went to the cross, took your sin and my sin on his shoulders on the tree. Uh, he took it upon himself. He bore the price of sin. Now, sin's a pretty awful thing. Sin's filthy. Sin's wicked. Sin's dark. All the sin of the world. All the, all the dredges and the wickedness and the awfulness of sin he took upon his shoulders in that moment. And the Bible says that the Father is of two pure eyes to look on sin. Nothing could separate him from his Son throughout eternity but one thing, our sin. Our sin separated him. Our sin came between them. Our sin made a breach between the Father and the Son. And it's almost as though the father had looked down on the son in all his life as he, as he lived as a man and, and he had looked down on him and he had smiled on everything. You know, a couple of times he breaks through the clouds and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's pleased with them all. He's been pleased with them in, uh, throughout eternity. He's been pleased with them as a man. And yet in this, the darkest hour of his life, he turns away. I, I can't imagine what that would be. You and I can imagine loneliness. We, you know, we've lived in a world where we cause offense and people offend us and there's breaches and there's problems and there's difficulties. And, you know, we live in that kind of a porcupine world where we keep causing offense to each other. But Jesus and the Father, never. There never was a problem. I don't think any of us can fully understand what that meant to him. How completely and utterly 
unprepared he was to be alone because he'd never experienced it before. And how complete and absolute the aloneness was. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. And he's crying out to the Father, but he knows there's a breach now. Now, the breach was not anything that Jesus did. He never sinned. The breach was not anything the Father did. The breach was us, our sin, put on him as he hung on the cross. The worst thing you've ever done was paid for. It was put on him. The thing you're most ashamed of was transferred from you to him in that day. And he paid for it. And because he was paying for it, because that sin was on him, the Father turned his back on him. Look at verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. You know what? Even though he's struggling with the aloneness, he's recognizing it's right. You're holy. You can't look on this. We have a harder time with that, don't we? We look at our sin as being small potatoes, as being no big deal, as being just what people do. But Jesus says, no, you're holy. You can't look on this. And then he says, our fathers trusted in thee, and they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. And he's talking back about Israel there. He said, when they trusted in you, you delivered them. When they trusted in them, you took care of the situation for them. When they were in Egypt and, and Pharaoh uh, had them as slaves and was making their lives absolutely intolerable, they trusted in you and you delivered them. When they arrived at the Red Sea and Pharaoh was there behind them with his armies ready to devour them, you delivered them, you opened the Red Sea. When they went out in the wilderness and they were thirsty and they hung, were hungry, you delivered them. You're a delivering kind of God. What's wrong with me? Why won't you deliver me? Now you say, but he was God. He knew, yeah. He was God and he knew. But do you know he was man too? He was fully man. He understood like a man and he felt like a man. And he felt forsaken. And he felt like the Father would not deliver him. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of man and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. <clears throat> and what happened was the Pharisees and the priests and everybody, that this was their moment. And we have to recognize that the whole moment was fired up by Satan. But, you know, these people came around the cross and they said, Hey, you think you're so great? You think you can do miracles? You think you're the one that's close to God and we're not? Hey, look at you. You're on a cross and we're not. And they spat out their words at him. And they mocked him. And they put him in his place. Now, isn't it horrible when somebody treats you just a tiny bit like that, isn't it? Doesn't it make your blood boil? Doesn't it make you want to respond? Makes me want to respond. Makes me want to react. Now... <clears throat> 
Jesus never stopped being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He never stopped being the Lord of Glory. He never stopped. He never lost the power that he had as God. Never. Not for a moment. He never gave it up for a moment. Uh, he was completely God. Do you realize that as he hung on the cross, he could have said, this is enough. And he could have come down and destroyed them. I mean, he said, don't you think I could call my father and he would send 12 legions of angels? You know, he, he could have destroyed them. It wasn't nails that held them on the cross. Because nails can't hold deity on a cross. Do, do you know what held him on the cross? Love. Because he loved you and I. Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you know that he loved us so much that he hung on the cross and he stayed? Even though they were mocking, scorning, shooting out the lip, just having a good old time at his expense. How cruel, how horrible, how dreadful. And it wasn't nails that held him. It was love. And <clears throat> he loved you. Sinner or believer tonight, he loved you. His love for you was so great that he stayed there to pay the price of your sins. How dreadful it would be knowing that for you to face him one day and for him to say to you, I never knew you. How dreadful it would be for you to pass out of this life and not actually have trusted him, not have come to the place where you had uh, become one of his. How dreadful that would be. Because he bore the full price of your sin. Did he bear it in vain? Was it a waste? Are you going to just ignore it? Listen, you need to trust him. You need to come to the place where you trust him. <clears throat> Verse 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. If you look at the life of Jesus, you don't find a moment when he's not hoping in the Father. You know, the first time we, we, we find him in the cradle at Christmas time, and, and um, really we, we, we don't know what's going on in his mind. It's not revealed to us. But when he's age 12, and 12 is pretty young, right? Uh, when he's age 12, we find him in the temple. And when his mother and father say to him, listen, you were lost. We didn't know where you were. We were so upset. And he said, don't you understand that I have to be about my father's work? You know, from the earliest days, he knew who he was, and he knew who his father was, and he was trusting, and he was hoping in his father. And he was teaching other people to do that too. Uh, <clears throat> he says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of, Baish of Bashan have beset me round. They have gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Uh, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. 
I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. Be thou not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Now let's backtrack and just pick up some of the pictures he's given us here. Um, How many of you have ever been in a field with a bull? Scary moment, isn't it? I mean, even if you know the bull is tame, you don't know the bull is tame, right? You're never sure, are you? Bulls bulls are scary creatures. They're big and they're powerful. And um, they, they, they look at you and they snort. And you know what? Uh, it, has, it has the ability to have you looking for the nearest gate and making your way there as fast as you possibly can because they're, they're scary things. Like what he says is, many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. See, what happened to the Lord Jesus was, and not only did, did his people hate him so much that they put him on a, on a cross, but what they did was they gave him over to the Roman soldiers. Now, the Roman army was a killing machine. It really was. These were bloodthirsty men. These were men that were used to blood. Uh, these were men that were used to uh, inflicting pain, and si- inflicting suffering. They were hardened to it. You know, Rome was a terrorist nation. Most nations that control uh, as many people as they do are. They stuck terror in the heart of people. You didn't stand against Rome. You didn't do your own thing. You didn't kind of just fly in their faces because what happened was you could end up crucified. You had a rebellion. Rome would send in the army, and the army would take men, and they would crucify them along the side of the road for miles going into your town. And the purpose was this. Everybody walking by seeing you dying hearing your screams and your moans and your groans and watching the lifeblood ebbing from your body would say, I'm never going to end up on a cross. I, am, I don't care what they tell me to do. I am never going to go against them because I might end up on a cross. That was, the, that was the purpose of it. And so these men were brutal men. They were men that for, <clears throat> for fun uh, would pluck off a man's beard. They were men that for fun would make a crown of thorns just to mock him and pierce his brow with it. They were men that blood and pain and well, that was just sport to them. And you know, when the Pharisees handed him over, they handed him over to these men and these men took him in and you know what? To them he was just another criminal and they were going to have fun but he was kind of different because he said he was a king so let's have fun with the king bit. Let's have fun with this guy that calls himself the king of the Jews. And so, so they compassed him around, and he says, wild bulls have compassed me about. You, know, they, they, you catch the idea of what it feels like to be in a field with a bull. Well, how about you're surrounded by them? How about you're surrounded by, <clears throat> by, uh, by bulls? He says, <clears throat> they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Okay, now that's another picture for you. A ravening and a roaring lion. How, how, don't you read the picture of Daniel in the lion's den? And, and you think, oh my goodness, this is terrible. How, how could he endure in that? And then the people that all got thrown in after him, and they, they, the lions mastered them and broke their bones before they ever hit the ground, the Bible says. It's a terrifying picture. That's what Jesus felt amongst those men. Uh, <clears throat> He says, for dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. You know, 
that just kind of catches me. There was nothing wicked about him. He was pure, holy, undefiled, sinless. He could say something you and I would never dare to say. He, he could say, which of you convinceth me of sin? Show me. What sin have I done? We could never say that. If anybody searched far enough, they'd find lots, wouldn't they? But he could say it because you know what? They could search the records. They could go back as far as they could. They would never find anything against him because he had never done anything wrong. He was holy, sinless, undefiled. And yet, <clears throat> he says, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. These wicked, cruel, brutal men have encompassed him. They, they have taken him. He says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. That's an interesting picture, you know. We all stand erect and we stand sure because we've got bones in our bodies and so on. If, if you were like water, you would just melt. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe you were sick or maybe there was something going on and you just felt you hadn't got strength to get your head off the pillow. You just, you, you felt like, you know, you, uh, you were poured out like water. Um, your, your heart was like, like wax. It wasn't working very well. Uh, everything was going wrong. Um, it was melted in the midst of you. Your strength is dried up like a potsherd, and your tongue cleaveth, his tongue cleaved to his jaws. You know, he, he was thirsty. He needed drink. His tongue uh, was stuck to his jaws. He, he, he couldn't do anything. And <clears throat> he went through all that. I know it's gruesome. But he went through all that because I'm a sinner. He went through all that because you're a sinner. No other reason. There was nothing else because we're sinners. Verse 17, he says, I may tell all my bones, they look and they stare upon me. In verse 16, he says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, this is really interesting because, you know, uh, it was going to be, I think, 700 years later before crucifixion was invented by the Assyrians. Right? And even then, it wasn't going to be this kind of crucifixion. The Romans were going to perfect it as a <clears throat> means of torture. But a thousand years, David is looking into, into the future and he's saying, um, <clears throat> they pierced my hands and my feet. The, the nails were going to be put through his hands and his feet. Uh, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Well, we know that happened, don't we? The soldiers did that to him too. But be not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns, and the, uh, from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name... And my brethren, in the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee. Now, we're not going to look at it here, uh, but you know, the, this psalm, like so many of the psalms, turns a corner, and it begins to rise. And the rise is the resurrection. Yes, he, he went through all of it. He went through all of it in detail. He bore your pain. You say, how can somebody bear that much pain in such a short time? I can't give you an answer for that. But he did. He paid the price in full. He didn't pay some proxy price. He, he paid 
the price in full. He was the atonement. Jesus Christ suffered so for my sins and for your sins that the Father looked down and said, it's sufficient. It's okay. I will accept this. I will accept this from my perfect son in payment for your imperfect sin. And he accepted it. And Jesus rose from the dead the third day and he won and he has victory. And because he has victory, you and I are going to heaven if we trust him. Right? <clears throat> now, just a couple of things. Now I'm going to go straight to the table, man, so if you just keep that in mind. right? A couple of things. First of all, listen, it would be ridiculous for you to sit here and hear this and say, yeah, not for me. If God sent his son to die for you and you say, not for me, then God will send you to hell. And there's no other way. When I finally saw that, that's, that's the moment I got saved. When I finally understood, you know what, if I reject this, go my own way and do my own thing and have my own little plan on the side, God will send me to hell. Because he's, if he's paid this price for me, then he'd have to send me to hell. It would be ridiculous for you to sit here and for you to say, <clears throat> you know what, not for me. I don't need this. We all need this. Second thought is this, right? <clears throat> Listen, if he loved you so greatly as to pay the price for your sin, do you know what the response to that love is? That's to love him back. And <clears throat> if I love him, you know what? I'm going to hate the things he hates. I'm going to hate sin. I'm not going to play with sin. I'm not going to let, let it be fun. I'm not, no, I'm going to hate sin. I'm going to say sin is not what I want to be around. Sin is not what I want to do. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that stuff. I want, I want to be far away from that. Now, tonight we're remembering the Lord's uh, death for us. So what that means is, you know what? I don't want to come to the table with something between me and him. That, I don't want to do that. I want, I want it right between me and him. I want things to be right between them. I, I, want, I want to be as far from sin as it's possible for somebody to be. Now, what do you do about that? Well, what you do in a few minutes, we'll, we'll take time and ask the Spirit of God to search us. And if there's something between you and him, make it right. Something between you and somebody else that needs to be made right, then make that right too. But don't play with this thing. This thing of sin is, is kind of something the world plays with, but not us. We know what sin costs. We know what sin does. Let's not play with it. Let's make sure that we're clean, that we're right before him. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so tonight as we go to the table, those two thoughts. First of all, listen, if you're not saved, then get saved. Don't hold out on God. And if there's something between you and God tonight, listen, make it right. Make it right. All right, man, if you would come. <clears throat>